Hello and welcome to From Our Perspective to Therapist Moms and a Mic. I'm Claudia. And I'm Katie. And today, Katie brought the topic. What are Uh-oh. we doing? <laughs> We're talking about, um, well, the four horsemen of the apocalypse is a concept coined by um, one of the top couples theorists and therapists kind of of our time, Dr. John Gottman. And um, we're going to talk about kind of what that means, what those four things are, um, why they're called that, and then how each of them might manifest in different types of relationships. Yes. And so for those that don't know who John Gottman is, so he's come up with his own theory, right? I guess of couples therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, it's not super arbitrary. It's not like, here's just what I believe to be true. He does a lot of research. He actually has an institute. I think it's in Seattle, right? Like the Pacific Northwest, I think is where he is. Um, where he's actually like studied couples in a lab, right? And yeah. he's tracked these interactions and over time has learned how to anticipate a couple's success or lack thereof in their relationship, right? I guess their ability to stay together based on these four horsemen, which he has identified as kind of like, once we're doing all of these things, like we're, <laughs> we're in a little bit of trouble, right? Um, obviously everything can be course corrected, but he he's done a lot of research on couples as well, not just working with them, but really like studying them and, mm-hmm. um, tracking interactions to determine what shifts need to be made and then whether or not a couple can sustain their relationship. Yeah. Super cool stuff. Like I think he's definitely the first and I don't know, is, has he been the only one to do, um, this type of research, this longitudinal is what that's called research of couples. Um, I don't know. I know, you know, Harville Hendricks does, um, I think his name's Harville Hendricks. He does, yeah, he does a lot of couples work. I don't know what his research and studies have been. I think Gottman has done, with his institute, has done his own studies, right? Mm -hmm. But with any theory, it's like, um, you know, practicing clinicians do their own research too, and there's all kinds of studies. So um, I don't know, but I think he's the only one I know that's like built his own lab and kind of. Yeah. And I remember from grad school, like one of the things that set him apart was the fact that the research was longitudinal as as opposed to just time specific. So like, for example, most times when research is done, it's done at a given point in time or during a short duration. And what Gottman did was really different. I don't know, Claudia, when he was around, because I mean, you and I went to grad school a long time ago, Um, but like he did this research. when couples were in newer phases of their relationships and isolated certain variables of that he observed in his interactions of them in what's called the love lab. And he filmed them and had, you know, his research assistants kind of making notes of things that, that were um, objectively observable, right? In the couples, different types of interactions and so forth and so on. And then what he did was he then let the couples be for years and years and then followed back up with them after a long time to see of the couples that he worked with or he observed rather, which of them were still married and happy, which of them were still married and unhappy and which of them were not married anymore. And then that's how he kind of came up with his his predictors for marital satisfaction or dissatisfaction and and the the latter is kind of what he came up with like you said as the four horsemen of the apocalypse so basically is a reference to the new testament and revelation kind of the end of times the end of the world coming right and so like in a relationship context obviously that means that when these four horsemen are present um, it's kind of like, like you said, like a bad sign, you know, like things like the end could be in sight if you don't course correct. Yeah. Yeah. So let's dive in. Yeah. So if anybody wants to look at this, um, his website is gottman.com. So G O T T M A N pretty simple. Um, and there's lots of cool resources on here. He's written a lot of things 
and has a lot of good ideas. Um, so the four horsemen are as follows. And then, so we'll give you the four and then we'll break each one down. So they're criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. So in my opinion, some of these words like make more, you know, just intuitive sense than others. So well, let's just start at the top. Let's start with criticism. Do you want to talk about that one or like define that one? Yeah, but actually, as you were talking, I had an interesting thought. Yeah, and I, I would love to have Gottman on here to be like, how did you, like, you know, like, how did you right. measure that? Because he did measure these things based on comments that were made, whatever. But honestly, like, part of me is like, well, is criticism always that? Like, right? There's perceived yeah. criticism, which may not right. be critical. And then there's someone who's actually being critical. And I don't know. So I just got in my head about that. So I don't know. No mm -hmm. solution. But yes, I mean, and you hear these and you're kind of like, well, of course that's the end. Like once you're in this like place where like <laughs> the person annoys you so much that you're critical, ignoring them, like, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. of, of course the end is near. Um, but I think it starts more subtly, right? And that's, that's part of it. Um, so you want to start with criticism? Yeah, we can. Yeah. Yeah, and I like that that he there's on the the Gottman website he kind of um, differentiates or this isn't him I guess this is one of his writers right because he's probably just super just famous and now just sits back and relaxes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, one of his team kind of writes this article and kind of describes the difference between a complaint and a criticism, which I think is pretty cool, right? Because yeah, like to your point, we can, you know, and, and we generally think of it being good to kind of speak your truth and kind of voice what you're feeling in a relationship. And, and that's not always positive, but that doesn't mean that that's criticism. Right. So how do we know what criticism is? I think if you're voicing a complaint or maybe a critique, <laughs> right, mm -hmm. is you know, for me, it brings up where these I statements come in, right? Mm -hmm. I feel frustrated when you tell me I did the dishes wrong. I don't, whatever, right? doesn't matter what the example is. Um, versus you're always yelling at me about doing the dishes wrong. You know what I mean? It's it, some of it's like how it's stated and the intent behind it. Yeah. I think criticism is it's attacking someone personally, right? Mm -hmm. Is yep. where... I think it becomes problematic. Mm -hmm. And probably there's some attitude, you know, kind of inherent in it as well, right? Some tone, some mood, some really negative emotions, as opposed to it being a bit more lighthearted or not so end of the world feeling, right? Like, um, so the example they give in here, the difference between a complaint and a criticism on Gottman.com is the complaint would be something like, I was scared when you were running late and didn't call me. I thought we had agreed we would do that for each other, right? So you were able to air kind of your the way you're feeling, you know, that I statement versus criticism. You never think about how your behavior is affecting other people. I don't believe you're forgetful. You're just selfish. You never think of others. You never think of me. Yeah, you hear the difference in that like yeah. energy, right? Like uh -huh. it's those always never statements. Yeah, and you always you. never. Mm -hmm. Um, and then like a little more attacky, right? Yeah. There's, because I think the criticism is meant to hurt uh -huh. versus meant to, I, I think feedback is more like it's meant to course correct, right? This bothers me. Please don't do that. Like, mm -hmm. I would like you to not do that again. Criticism is almost just a lashing out. You made me mad. Here I come. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's got more of an attacking feel to it. And, and I think. Yeah you know, that can happen occasionally when you lose your mind in a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. If you get really overwhelmed and frustrated, but if that is the, and, and this is, you know, what Gottman talks about too, because right. when he studies people, he's tracking how often these things happen, mm -hmm. right? If it happens once, he's not like, oh, you're doomed, right? That's like <laughs> human, but he's tracking the, um, the amount of times these things are happening and, and really looking at it, right? So is this the norm in how you communicate? Or was this like, 
you know, you were so worried about your partner that when they came home, you lashed out a little because you didn't know what to do with all your feelings of fear and anger or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that he says here is like, it's an attack at the core of the character, right? So like, it's not as specific to a certain behavior or a certain incident, but more of just a kind of a general sweeping attack on your partner's character, who they are at their core and, and in a pervasive way. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he actually says, this is kind of like the first, one of the first signs, right? And that like, this one paves the way for the other, what he calls more deadly horsemen to come. Yeah. So the next one that comes in March in is contempt. Is that where we're at? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So the next one marching is contempt. So you can see where criticism turns into, (laughs) right? Like you can kind of see, but you do, you can see the progression of how someone can get to the last one, which is stonewalling, right? Like you can see the build up a little bit. So contempt, which is more attacking in my opinion, right? Mm -hmm. But now we're, we're trying to hurt a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like we're, and I think that there, you know, it, this isn't set like written on in this article about this on his site, but it seems to me that we shift into this when we, you know, criticism can be, we're mad, right? And we've been mad long enough that we're not able to solely stay in just that critique or complaint, right? And, and being specific, time limited, and, you know, hoping for the best and trying to course correct. And, you know, but moving into kind of those all statements, the character statements, you know, out of frustration or just being exhausted with something that seems to be constantly happening. And then once we move from criticism into contempt, it feels almost like there's a flavor of like, like resentment and disrespect and disgust that comes along with it right he talks about kind of taking the the attacker takes the position of moral um superiority right so inherent in there there has to be a perception by the sender that the the other partner is inferior in some way that that the partner is just maybe has lost the ability to to be respected um, in the relationship and this can be pretty yucky yeah and i think right that that idea of lack of respect right like we are now trying to hurt the other person we're Mm -hmm. trying to insult them we're right maybe there is a buildup of resentment that kind of spills over You know, and it's interesting too, because I have a lot of conversations with clients um, struggling with various couple issues about resentment. And it's an interesting conversation because it does play into this, right? Like you do something enough times and I've given you feedback and at some point I get resentful, right? Right. Now I'm not trying to solve the problem. I'm just trying to hurt you back, right? And, but the, who does, right? So the question of, and I guess we can get in this a little bit later in this too, is where does that responsibility to, to work through the resentment lie, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm, a lot of clients that I work with the resentment builds from lack of expressing their needs and communication. Yeah. Right. Effective communication, I should say, because maybe they would argue, I did try, maybe they were criticizing and that was their way of communicating, but nobody hears a criticism. Uh, it's hard to interpret what the message mm-hmm. is when you're now defensive, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, which is the next one, but we'll get to that. Oh yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, let's let's go there, right? So okay, so we've got now we're jumping into because again, there there's a flow to this, right? Defensiveness. Yeah. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So defensiveness, right? Like you said, typically response to criticism. You know where you know defensiveness and in its kind of truest sense is when we kind of we we put protective mechanisms into place. So sometimes we shut down, sometimes we wall up, sometimes we lash back out, right? But when there's a perceived vulnerability and a perceived attack, you know, humans need defensiveness, right? And so um, defensiveness comes in lots of flavors and it can be um, very benign or it can be very aggressive, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, so you've, you've kind of gone from 
feeling criticized to a little bit of contempt thrown in there. And now one or both partners, right. Are, you know, for lack of a better term, like drawing up their draw bridge and barricading themselves, right. There's a protective factor towards that because we are perceiving or maybe even experiencing an attack. And so it becomes, I'm going to protect myself and Mm -hmm. I blame you for making me do this. Right. Or I blame you for the reason why I'm, you know, locked into my fortress right now. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you guys, as you're listening, you can imagine how this doesn't get anybody anywhere, right? And getting somewhere is exactly what couples need when they're at this stage of of a relationship breakdown, right? We need to be able to break through. But if the communication has broken down to this point where one partner or both are attacking, being contemptuous, and then there's defensiveness in response, nothing can get resolved from that place, right? It's kind of like a dangerous place. It's an unsafe environment and we can't heal or progress when we're feeling unsafe, right? We can only really do that in a safe environment with with, um, safe ways of communicating, right? And when I say safe, I don't mean physically safe, although obviously we (laughs) would not advocate for that either, but emotionally safe, right? Mentally safe, a sense that you're not going to be attacked. You're not going to be torn down. You're going to be listened to and heard and treated with respect and, you know, open to engaging in a dialogue that could be one of mutual understanding and being able to explore and explain and kind of move the needle correct any damages that have been made, create new plans for moving forward in the future, make necessary apologies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? But obviously nothing, none of this can happen if we've got criticism, contempt, and defensiveness. Yes, which then leads us to the last one. And this should come as no shocker that at this point, a relationship is, you know, Uh pretty much done unless some serious turnarounds happen so the last one is stonewalling Mm -hmm. which i mean i kind of view this as like you threw the towel in like at this point you're withdrawing you're just going to avoid conflict and so you you just don't communicate you distance yourself you separate right you don't even engage uh, is kind of Mm -hmm. where you're at at this point and you can see how you get here slowly step by step moving through those other horsemen um but yeah once you're at this point i mean you're not even engaged in the relationship right so of course a matter of time mm-hmm. before it all falls apart yeah so he defines or you know the the author here defines horse excuse me stonewalling is when the listener withdraws from the interaction shuts down and simply stops responding they can make evasive maneuvers such as tuning out turning away, acting busy, or engaging in obsessive or distracting behaviors. And I do want to point out, this is different than when you're in a heated conversation and you're asking to take a beat to regroup. Right. That is a conscious, this is going nowhere right this second. Mm -hmm. We're both getting too heated. Let's table this and come back to it when we calm down. While that is avoiding a conflict in that moment, that's not stonewalling. You're 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 doing that with the intention of resolving it later. Stonewalling is like, I'm not even engaging in this ever at all. We're we're not having this conversation. So I just want people to know that because I do know that there's times in a relationship when things get so intense and no one's hearing one another. And it mm-hmm. is a skill to be able to say, we both need to 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 regroup before we we finish this conversation. Absolutely. Right. To kind of re try to recreate that feeling of emotional safety between the two of you. Right. And, you know, one of the things that they mention here is that the stonewalling is often um, a reaction to feeling physiologically flooded. So when the body starts responding with these defense, you know, kind of signals, we start kind of sounding those alarms on the inside saying, "Uh Oh, this is problematic, right? We're in trouble. I need to fight, flee or freeze. Stonewalling is a little bit of a combination between fleeing and freezing, kind of some of both where you you just kind of shut down or wall off or tune out as a way to protect yourself, where 
typically the one prior defensiveness is more of like a fight response, you know, where you kind of come back at the person kind of to argue with them or to defend yourself, right? In a more active way, stonewalling is kind of like a shutting down and closing off. That's right. Which you you look at all of these and (laughs) really what it comes down to and on every level of this, you know, any horseman, any of the four, you know, I look at this and I'm like, well, well, of course these are, you know, bad signs because for any of these, you are either intentionally hurting the other person Mm -hmm. or not being kind, maybe it's, you know, or you're disconnected and how does a relationship sustain if you don't, you know, lean in and mm-hmm. get vulnerable and listen to one another and, you know, yeah, do all the things. But I'm also very aware that, and this would be interesting. I would love to see how uh, Gottman, you know, kind of conceptualize some of this, but I look at some of these and I'm like, wow, some of these could really be, um, the word that comes to mind is like trauma responses, right? Absolutely. The, the tendency to be critical or criticized as almost a defense mechanism. But again, what is it meant to do? It's meant to create space and safety for myself. You can't get too close. I create space and safety by criticizing you because I keep you at an arm's length, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't work. Now I'm going to get a little like, you know, <laughs> throw in a little contempt to keep you a little farther, right? But so it, it functions to keep yeah. you at a distance, right? But right. that is not the makings of a healthy relationship. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. In a healthy relationship, you don't need that distance, right? There's right. the ability to be close and connected and be vulnerable and have that be safe. Right. So Gottman's got like his antidotes. Should we share the antidotes? Like now that we've been like, oh, Debbie Downer, so sorry if you have these, like <laughs> looking bad for you. Right. Nope, just stop with those. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Yes, let's do the antidotes. Okay, and so like, as I'm reading these, I'm so aware that these are going to sound so simple. And I mean, I'm just imagining being in session and and telling couples what they need to do instead about this and, and <laughs> just like getting these looks, right? Like, what? You want me to do what? Right? Like, so this stuff is deceptively simple and it's not easy, particularly not when you've gotten to this place in a relationship, right? Where you're, you're at criticism, you're at contempt, you're at defensiveness, you're at stonewalling. It's going to be hard to shift out, right? Cause you're already feeling shut down. You're feeling disrespected or you are disrespected or you've lost respect for your partner. You have lost that sense of safety. You've lost that sense of vulnerability and intimacy. Probably you've probably lost the friendship between the two of you. Um, or the ability to have fun, right? My guess is by the time you're predominantly here, you know, sex is probably not a great topic for the two of you either. You know, and there's this stuff becomes pervasive where it bleeds into everything, right? Finances, the house, parenting, physical appearance. And so when we introduce these four antidotes, know that we don't think that this is like, oh, easy peasy, just do this instead. Yes, because, right, not only are there relationship dynamics that have been created that for, you know, have to kind of be undone or maybe redefined, there's your own stuff, which may be part Mm -hmm. of why you communicate a certain way. So when we say it, it's going to be a simple, just do this. But the reality (laughs) is to just do that, you may need to put in a lot of couples work Mm -hmm. or a lot of your own therapy because there's all kinds of reasons we do this. And a lot of them are not always conscious reasons until we end up in this crisis point and somebody points out, well, these are the patterns that that are kind of being displayed. All right. So uh, you want to start at the top again and give us all the little antidotes? Okay. So the first one is called gentle startup. So pretty self-explanatory there, but right, this is kind of the opposite of criticism. So instead of launching an attack on your partner, if he or she is not doing something or being the way that you would like, um, we would advocate, right, to do a gentle startup instead. So that might be something, uh, what Gottman says here is to use an I statement and to express a positive need. So instead of tearing down what was wrong, stating what you might want instead, right? And 
sometimes can be helpful when we can add in the little pet name, right? Like, baby, (laughs) could you please call me next time you're going to be four hours late coming home, (laughs) right? It would help me feel very much more relaxed if I knew you were safe, right? Or um, tone is also something that is really powerful here too, right? If we think, think of that gentle startup, they're tone sometimes speaks more and body language than even the the words that are said when it comes to is that a gentle um send or is it an attacking send yes and these all of these and even you know the four horsemen while it is while he studies couples like if you break down any relationship right like friendships parent child they show up they can show up everywhere Um, His focus is, is, you know, marital relationships. But the other thing is, as I'm thinking about, I'm like, okay, I'm I'm, so the example of being homely, right? You're pissed. So here's where the simplicity is not there. You're four hours late. I'm pissed. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a process for me to get to gentle startup, right? Because I'm mad. I'm scared. I'm worried. I'm angry. You always do this. All the things in my head, right? That I think about it. This is where it's not so simple. It is going to take some serious self-soothing and regrouping before you can calmly say, I really need you to call me mm-hmm. if you're going to be late because I worry a lot. Like we recognize that. So again, the simplicity <laughs> with which we're delivering it is not the way it's going to work in real yeah. life, right? Mm-hmm. But being aware that like this one method is not working. If you need to take five minutes to breathe before you can uh, respond that is okay right like most things do not need to be dealt with the very moment they happen actually i would argue that most things probably should be dealt with a few minutes after they happen so that you cannot mm-hmm. come in supercharged so yeah. um or maybe hours later depending on how upset we were right but this is the thing is this like there is a simplicity to it that like oh, just do this but again, there's emotions, feelings, patterns mm-hmm. behind all of that. So we do understand it's 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 more of a process than yeah, yeah, absolutely, and so hard. Yes, okay, but doable, so- right? Doable yeah. once you're aware. It's it's doable. Okay, so that was um our the our his antidote. Yeah, we um, <laughs> ours. We came up with it. um. <laughs> We didn't scratch that. Um, okay, so contempt. What is our antidote for contempt, Katie? Build a culture of appreciation. This is interesting because I remember this like from parenting too, right? They, you know, all the different methods of parent education I've been trained in. There's a, they're always, you know, in some way or flavor or fashion, right? There's always a emphasis on focus on the good, right? catch somebody being good, catch your child being good, catch your husband being good, right? Like catch your wife being good. Like, and, and, you know, it's, it, again, it sounds so simplistic, but, and, and the same with animals, right? Like, I think we've talked about this example in the past on here, how my 10 year old is trying to kind of like figure out how to, we have a dog we've had, she's new to our family ish. She, we've had her for a year at this month and, you know, so interfacing with a new pet and training her and she was astray. And so she's never been trained at all. And, we're not the best trainers, but you know, an easy way to train a pet is just with your, your, your vocal tone, right? Like if you're super happy and excited with them, they don't know what they did, but they're so happy. They did it right. Right. Like, you you know, you can praise them and they pick up on the energy of that and want to do more of whatever they just did that made your voice go really high and, and had you smile. Right. Cause that just communicates to any animal that that was a good thing. Right. And humans are animals too. We are, I'm an animal. And so this idea of like, okay, we're going to be more likely to respond to positives than we are to negatives, right. That, that if, if a boss comes to you or, um, you know, uh, um, an authority, like a, a law enforcement officer or somebody and says, Hey, you know what? Like, you're really supposed to be doing this thing instead, right? It's It feels a lot better, um, especially if it can be paired. Now, I don't know if this is true with like a police officer, but like, let's imagine a workplace setting, right? If that can be paired with a lot of praise, like you're doing so well at X, Y, and Z, and can we work a little bit on this other part, right? That's a lot better to stomach and to receive than, than again, 
criticism and contempt, right? So the appreciation, what's going right? What is what is positive about the relationship? What are you appreciative of? And what can you be grateful for um, in your relationship and in your partner? And again, mm. I mean, this is so hard when you're so shut down and mad and resentful and you started to learn to lose hope. But according to Gottman, this is the antidote for contempt. Well, and that makes sense too, because once we're in a place of contempt, that energy, right? That negative, you always mess up. You never do anything. You don't do this. That feeds itself mm-hmm. the same way gratitude and appreciation can, can feed. Right. And so when we get to that place where we're everything someone does is wrong and everything's wrong with them, mm-hmm. of course, this is not like, who wants to be with that? Who wants to be with somebody who thinks everything's wrong with them. Right. And who wants to be with someone that you think everything's wrong with? Like it doesn't, it doesn't work, right. but you know, I'm always mindful of telling people and kind of exploring with people. There are traits that you loved about that person mm-hmm. when you first got together. And sometimes a lot of times, those are the traits that will annoy you the most eventually. Yeah right? Her spontaneity was great. And now it's like, oh, she's so flighty, <laughs> you know, like, but again, bringing it back to the ways in which you appreciate that person and the traits. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that so, is, that is, that is sounds again, super easy, <laughs> but I think it's, it's being able to identify what is right and what is good with the other person. If you find yourself in a place where you're like, I can't name one thing, then that might be some serious reassessing that needs to be done, right? Because if you're already in the place where like, there's not one thing I like about this person or one thing they do well, that's a pretty dire place. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Defensiveness, what do we do for that? Okay, so, and this kind of shifts. So so I'm noticing, I don't know if we spoke to this before, but the first two, you guys, the first two horsemen are characteristics of the sender okay or the sending the second two are of the receiver so right defensiveness is a response to perceived criticism or a perceived attack right so instead of responding to your partner from a defensive standpoint gamma suggests that you take responsibility and you know i feel like this is one of the things I mean, obviously it's all good, right? It's good to be kind the way we approach someone and be gentle with them. It's good to look for positives. All of that's super helpful. I think one of the things that I have been struck with over the years, that it's like, it's almost like a magic bullet, right? If there were a magic bullet, this is one. I think above and beyond, if I had to cherry pick some of the things that I think are just like life hacks, right? The ability to receive someone's opinion, someone's feelings, someone's perspective with humility, kind of laying down those defenses, right? Not putting a guard up, not needing to argue with it. It doesn't mean that you have to necessarily see it the same way or buy it hook, line, and sinker, or that you're wrong and they're right, or that you're a bad person, right? None of that is is necessary or true when it comes to this, but this non-defensive responding is the ability to hear, to listen, to receive, and then to kind of be honest and checking in with yourself around, okay, did I do that thing, right? Where can I accept responsibility? Do I, do I owe an apology? You know, do I need to say, yeah, you know what? I can see your perspective or you're right. I did do that. And I can see how that might have hurt your feelings or made you mad or that was wrong of me even right um which is it takes so much inner strength i think to receive negative feedback from someone and be able to be present with that and let that land without pushing it away which is what defensiveness is but just receiving it just feeling that and scanning yourself, scanning your own behavior, scanning the history and acknowledging if your partner's right and if you're wrong and and where you can accept responsibility, if at all. And, and sidebar here, this doesn't mean 
accepting responsibility for things that aren't yours to take, right? Or that, you know, I know for me, sometimes if I'm in a situation with, let's just say my husband or or like my daughter, right? Like there might be parts of, of what they might share where I can say, you know what? Yeah, absolutely. I, I was wrong in that, right? Or I was being a jerk or I shouldn't have done that. But then there's, there's other parts where I might say, you know, mm, I don't think I'm going to own that one, right? I don't think that is something that I will <laughs> acknowledge having done or remember being part of, you know, the experience or that I, I feel like I did wrong, right? Um, and so there's a lot to this. Do you want to add anything to that, Claudia? I feel like Yeah, but, but I think what you're more. getting at makes yeah. a lot of sense to me because it's not necessarily... I take responsibility or find something to take responsibility for and apologize about that. Yeah. This is also, well, it's, it's called taking responsibility. I think it's a little misleading. I think there's some component of this, which is just accepting that there are maybe two or more yeah. <laughs> perspectives <clears throat> that your perspective and the way you saw the situation may not match your partners mm -hmm. and that there's no need to attack your partner or shut down because of that, but to just hold space for the fact that, your partner perceived it one way and you perceived it another. Yep. You know, and, and it doesn't mean there was actual wrongdoing, right? It could just be, we have differences. We have a different way of doing it. We have different opinions of how that went down and that's okay too. Yeah. Like, I think it's this idea of like accepting that like you don't have to be right. Yeah, which is like, so hard for so many people, myself included. But we do. We fight to be right. We fight to win. But couldn't we just fight and agree to disagree? Yeah. Or say, you know what? We just view this differently. And we're both right and we're both wrong. And mm -hmm. like, it's a wash, right? Um, but like most of the time, it doesn't come out that way, right? Like right. most people, I mean, and you and I, I don't, I've never seen you and your husband fight. I don't know if you've seen me and my husband fight, but it's like sometimes pretty. Sometimes we do a really nice job. <laughs> sometimes it's not like, sometimes we just don't, right? Whether um, the buttons we push are bigger buttons or whether we're hungry or we're tired or we're, you know, feeling things about other things, you know? Um, but it's not always this easy, right? Or this, this simple, and there is a lot. I think there's times when we do need to apologize if we've done something wrong. Um, I'm a big fan of being careful about apologizing when we haven't. I think there is a time and a place to apologize when we haven't done something wrong. That's a whole other podcast. Um, but I think that 90% of the time we should not apologize if we've done if we don't believe we've done something wrong because of the way that impacts our own spirits and our own psyches. But let me, let me, let me ask you a question because yeah. there are times when yeah. one could argue, yeah, you didn't technically do anything wrong, mm -hmm. but what you did, there's no, because I think like there, there's this, I think this is where maybe the catch is. There's a sense yeah. of evaluating my actions. Was it good or bad? Maybe the action was neither good nor bad. Yep. So let's use the example of being four hours late. Mm -hmm. okay. You, so that's bad though. <laughs> Okay, or not, okay, um, okay, you were supposed to call me when your plane landed and you didn't. I don't know, example. Annoying, it's annoying, right? I asked you to do this, you didn't. Now I'm heated, I'm mad, I'm worried. I'm worried and it comes out in anger, right? Whatever. Right. Which is that action alone of not calling, while I could argue is inconsiderate from my perspective, right? It's not inherently good or bad. Like, does that warrant a giant apology, right? And there's probably other examples that might be better where it's a little less clear on, is that behavior good or bad? Right. But if it makes the other person feel mm -hmm. a certain way, right? I was scared sick because I didn't get a text message from you and I worried so much, right? I think it's okay, even if you're like, I didn't really do anything wrong. I'm sorry I didn't call yeah. and that it made you feel that way, right? feel that bad that I didn't call because again I didn't think anything was wrong with it mm -hmm. but I am apologizing for my role in stressing you out and having you freak out that's right and I think that that really I mean you know okay so the first the four horsemen typically is a small percentage of couples that have gotten to a really bad spot and when they're in this bad spot 
very often they do act out. They act mean. They do things that probably are objectively considered to be wrong, right? Out of an attempt to actually hurt the other person, right? But that's, again, a small percentage of the population. And the most of us, right? Like, what was it? Alanis Morissette, you know, <laughs> we're just bozos on the bus or something like that. Or, like, where are you going that? With this? <laughs> I don't know. Um, we're just like bumbling around in this world, right? And we're just trying to be the best we can and do the best we can. Like the example of the partner who got off the plane, trying to get their luggage, trying to get to the, the Uber, trying to get to a connection, right? Probably exhausted. The ear didn't pop right and hungry <laughs> and all the things, right? So like, <laughs> you know, we... We don't usually intend to hurt, right? And it's when we can get that feedback and we lay down our swords and we lay down our shields and we can say, oh man, I, I'm so sorry. I, it didn't even cross my mind or I completely forgot. I was hungry. I was rushing and that's no excuse, but it's my reason. It's what happened. And I didn't mean to hurt your feelings and I'm sorry. And please forgive me. Yeah. And what that does is it validates the other person's feelings. Yeah. Right. It's like, I hear you. The taking responsibility and the maybe apologizing, right. at least a portion of it, right? What's yours to own? You can own what's not, let it go. But it right. lets the other person know, yeah, I hear you. I hear you and I hear that I did something that that upset you or that triggered you or whatnot. Right. Um, so the last one oh, for stonewalling. Ah, okay. Which we did, we alluded to this mm -hmm. earlier when we were talking about stonewalling. Yep. Physiological self-soothing. So what Gottman says is that when we get to stonewalling, it's because we're flooded. Like we shut down because we can't do anything else. Now I would say, and maybe Gottman would counter me and say, well, that's not actually stonewalling, Katie. But I, I would say that there are times when we're not triggered. We're not having a experience where we're being physiologically flooded. We're just freaking over it with our partner right and like do not want to engage we don't want to look at them we don't want to touch them we don't want to talk to them we don't want to smell them i think that is stonewalling well, you know the couple that has an it. argument and he, uh -huh. he or she won't talk to the other person for three days because they're pissed yeah. that's stonewalling yes even yes. if it's calculated and from a calm physiological mm -hmm. space that's an intentional I, disconnect yeah. And yeah. maybe this article kind of simplifies it, right? But um, so what they propose to do instead is to self-soothe, right? And so they specify it being physiological. And so that means obviously with the body and there's other ways to self-soothe too. So, um, but physiological self-soothing, Claudia, can you think of some examples of physiological self-soothing? Yeah, breathe. Breathing, yeah. Out to 10. So Right. Uh -huh. it, it might, I mean, and it might be, you know, and, and I think people intuitively figure this out, right? Like I need to go for a walk, That's right? right? I need to get out and I'm going to go run or walk or, yep. you know, a lot of people will like take off in their cars after an argument. Yep. Part of it is what they're trying to do is mm -hmm. to regroup and calm down. Right. Right. So deep breaths, take a shower, go for a walk, you know, pet your dog like it doesn't anything that is calming and soothing to you the list of coping skills could go on and on and on for sure um and it is personal but right this intention to bring that fight or flight and that flood of adrenaline and anxiety to a lower state yeah yeah because you can't have communication from that place you can't no. no one ever in the history of anything has communicated effectively well or resolved anything in an emotionally heightened state mm -hmm. because we don't hear, we don't think straight, like our brains just override us. Right. Mm -hmm. And there isn't, you know, when someone's like a little kid's having a tantrum, there's no logical conversation. They can't, they're flooded. Mm -hmm. We as adults do the same thing. It just doesn't look like it does, or maybe it does look the same, right? Like your four-year-old looks one way, but us as adults get flooded too, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And and that's why everyone's like, just calm down, has never worked, right? No. You can't hear it, you can't do it. Um, so yeah, taking that moment to regroup so that you can solve a conflict in a place of connection and not separation and distance and disconnect, but you have to get yourself to a place mm -hmm. where you can communicate and receive communication effectively. 
That's right. That's right. And going back to that number one, right, that soft startup, right? So if we do need to take a break from a conversation or interaction, ideally not coming back and to it, right? And and as long as this is possible, right? It's not always the case with your parenting, but um, you know, if you can soothing for long enough that when you do come back, you do have the ability to regain that soft startup, look for the positives and use those I statements kind of, this is how I feel. This is what I would like to be different. This is what I want. This is what I need from you. This yeah. is my perspective. Right. And, and again, with that non-defensive open kind of attitude of sharing and receiving and um, working through it, right. In a productive way, not just criticizing or rehashing or attacking or, or defending. Right. And, you know, again, all is so much easier said than done as we're sitting here on this podcast, completely chill, having conversation about things, right? When you're in the moment, it is harder. But that's where, I mean, it really does take, you know, looking at yourself. I know I work a lot with clients on the way they respond to relationships and things they're triggered by because we all have a history and, you know, mm -hmm. soft spots and fractures that we have to work through from, you know, life, living life. And, and that's okay. So if you're like trying to do some of these things and you just feel like you're getting stuck or you don't know how to communicate differently because we learn these things yeah. from our experiences and, and through our childhood. And so, you know, if we didn't have families that communicated appropriately and healthily, we may or may not know how to do that too. So if you find that you're stuck in some of these patterns, like that's okay, right? It's, it's, part of everyone's journey to figure out, you know, where their struggles are. And, you know, there's definitely ways to address it and things you can do to work through it. And, you know, I know I do a lot of work with individuals who are in, who are working through couple stuff, but with yeah. me on their own parts of it, yeah. um, you know, on couples therapy, obviously, you know, you can go to a Gottman therapist and yeah, they can dive into all this with you together. That's right. That's right. Um, I love couples work so much. I think it might be my favorite. Yeah. And I also like working with individuals who are doing relationship stuff on their own too. And that's common, you know? So if, if somebody out there is listening to this and they think, God, my partner would never come with me to therapy. Um, there's still benefit from going alone, right? Cause it, this no phrase take two to tango. Yeah. Right. Is so true and so powerful. And it can go a long way to work on what I can own in my relationships with a therapist and harnessing kind of our own personal power, right? To make shifts and to make changes in our behavior that can impact our relationships around us in a positive way. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, I have a, I have a, I'm sure you have a lot too. I have a lot of those like, well, my partner will come. So I just am diving in, right? Like I can't anymore. And, and we talk a lot about that, right? Like one change in the system, even mm -hmm. if it's just one person, if you stop doing these things and recognize them for what they are and do the opposite, think about if that was the only thing that changed, what else would change in your relationship? Because it is, it does take two it's, it's, you know, interactions. Right. So if one of us changes and grows, then that influences the other to, to shift in some way as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So definitely, um, you know, work you can do on your own, even if your partner's not interested. So there's a lot of good resources here. We'll kind of drop for you as we wrap up. Gottman.com is where we're getting this information. Again, John Gottman is one of the probably top five couples theorists and therapists and researchers out there. He's written books as well. My guess is that Gottman is probably on all your major social media outlets and YouTube and I'm sure I think he might be, I don't know. Do you think but he But have like institute, like he has people uh, now that do. He has people, he has people that do that <laughs> for him. People. I'm like, right. Yeah. yeah um, There's also another really good book that I like that this has kind of uh, made me think of today. And it dives a little bit deeper into some of these skills, but it's called the high conflict couple. And I don't think it's necessarily only for high conflict couples. I think that the nuggets in here are beautiful for any couple, but the high conflict couple dialectical behavior therapy guide to finding peace, intimacy, and something else. And it's by <laughs> Alan Fruzetti, F-R-U-Z-Z-E-T-T-I. So 
I have read that one and think it's an amazing book. So I've read Gottman, I've read Alan Frizzetti, and both great authors, easy reads, and, you know, can be really helpful to read in a relationship, you know, like together, or again, to, you know, our point, if your partner's not willing to engage with you yet, that's something you can do on your own. Yeah. And I, I'm going to throw in there. I do like Harville Hendricks. I've read his couple of his things. Yeah. It dives a little because he does it. He does a type of therapy, which I'm just going to gloss over a little bit, but you can look it up. Imago therapy is another yeah. type of couples work. And he really looks at the foundations of our relationships mm -hmm. and what the foundation of our views and the way we engage in romantic relationships is kind of created from childhood up. But it, I love his work because when we find ourselves getting stuck in repeating patterns and we can't figure out why we communicate this way, why we get triggered this way, why we create distance or why we avoid or whatever, um, his work dives a lot into those like early experiences and kind of personal growth. And he does couple his books and some of them are couples workbooks, but you can all obviously work through them on your own. I have clients do that all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so mm -hmm. just if you feel like you're you want to dive even deeper into your life. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Nothing totally. Vacuum. And then if you want to dive like uber deep, like 2000 Leagues Under the Sea, you've got Sue Johnson who talks about the neurobiology of coupling. Oh, yeah. Wow. You can, I mean, yes, you can. Um, well, yeah, because mirror neurons and we really do oh. co-regulate. That's a whole nother podcast. I know. Um, but yes, this idea of like physiologically how we're impacted during interactions and relationships. <laughs> That'll take another hour. So we'll I have know. to do that another time. But yeah, I mean, there's a, there's so many resources, even just to kind of, you know, um, things that are interesting and, and, you know, explore on your own and kind of see what you are. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll have to see kind of where we feel led to come and talk about next. Yes. <laughs> we never know. <laughs> but if you, if you listen, and if you see that our posts on social media, feel free to comment um, below with anything you'd like to hear addressed, or if there's questions about anything you've heard today, um, feel free to ask those. And maybe that'll result in a spinoff podcast, or maybe we can answer you on social media. But um, Claudia is Mighty Oak Parenting. And I am one half of Rob and Katie Truax, T-R-U-A-X. And we are on Instagram and Facebook with our businesses and um, boycotting TikTok. because I can't old. do it either. <laughs> you won't find me on TikTok. Sorry, I can't. Until maybe one day we'll have people who are just do that for us. I don't know if I can. <laughs> I know, I right? So you won't find me there because I'm too old for TikTok. But you'll find me <laughs> on the other things. <laughs> Same. Bye. All right, you guys have a great day. Bye.